great this morning to be picking up the third in our new series uh, from Streams in the Desert. Uh, this morning's going to be entitled A Church That Prays. And uh, there's been this lovely theme coming through about, uh, about God's kingdom coming amongst us. We've been talking about prayer meetings, so a little season of prayer that we're coming into. And uh, so we want to focus uh, this morning on prayer. What, and uh, Isaiah has a lot to say about prayer. Well, we're going to read just a few verses. They'll come up behind me, uh, on the screen behind me. And uh, this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 62. And we're just going to read three verses. Verses 1, 6, and 7. This is what Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah says. For Zion's sake... I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord... Give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Today, I want us to catch Isaiah's and more importantly, Jesus' passion for prayer. For Zion's or the church's sake, I will not keep silent. Passion is more than emotions being stirred. You see, in this passage, which we read from Isaiah, most commentators would say that it's either the person speaking is either God or Isaiah himself. But either way, if it's God speaking, we know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So if it's God speaking, we know that Jesus is speaking and saying that as well, because he only ever says what he hears his father saying. He only ever does what he sees his father doing. But if it's Isaiah, we know that Isaiah is a prophetic book and Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so even if it is Isaiah, through Isaiah, Jesus is crying out and saying, for Zion's sake, the church's sake, I will not keep silent. Passion is everything. Passion affects our thinking and shapes the way we behave and speak. What's our passion? Maybe it's football. Maybe it's stamp collecting. For some of you, I know it's train spotting. Actually, when I hear that, when I hear myself say that, I think maybe you ought to get out a bit more. Um, And then I think, no, maybe you ought to stay in. (laughs) Maybe for some I know it's patchwork. For some I know it's history. For others, it's politics. Maybe one or two of you would even say that it was work. 
I hope all of us would say that it was our family, our partner, or our friends. None of those things are wrong. None of those things are wrong. I remember a time when, uh, I, uh, 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 back in uh, the day, when we, uh, Annie and I were a lot younger, uh, we, uh, uh, we'd had some people around for a meal, and Annie had made a pudding, she'd made a pavlova. Some of you have heard this story before. And she made a pavlova, and uh, I came home the next day, and uh, I looked in the fridge, and there was this piece of pavlova left. There was a last piece of pavlova left. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. I'll have that later. And uh, I was in the lounge, and then I heard Annie shout something to me. And I, I, I can't, I, in fact, to be honest, it was in one of those moments I probably should have been listening. I wasn't, and I just went, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, when I went into the, into the kitchen later, I, I went and I looked in the fridge, and the pavlova was gone. Pavlova was gone. She'd eaten it. And I'm thinking, that was my Pavlova. And so I remember telling the story and, and being very animated about it back in the day in uh, a church that used to uh, be one of the leaders in, in Hedge End. And um, as a result of it, uh, people got this idea that I was passionate about Pavlova. I had someone come round to the house trying to sell me frozen Pavlova as a result of it. Saying, Steve, you love pavlova, I'm sure I can sell you some. I had to, uh, people have said to me, years and years later, Steve, we remember that story all those, uh, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later. We remember the first day we turned up in church and you talked about a pavlova. They said, we remember the story today. Other people would, we would go around for a meal and guess what we would have for pudding? Every time. <laughs> pavlova. Every time. And um, in the end, I just had to say, look, it was just a story. You know, actually, my, my love and passion for Pavlova is sort of waning a bit. So if any of you <laughs> kindly invite me and anywhere from here, it's okay not to have Pavlova? You see, the thing is, our passion for stuff, we talk about being passionate about things, and then we find that it can wane and it can dissipate. What should we be really passionate about? Paul gives us a pointer. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, Our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. As as Jesus' followers, we are inextricably linked to him. We are in Christ. He is the head, we are the body. That's how the New Testament talks about the church. Jesus is the head and we're part of his body on earth. And Paul says that this should cause all of us to be like-minded, having the same mind as Christ and the same mind as one another, having the same love, the same spirit and purpose. And Paul is saying because Jesus Christ is passionate about the church, we should be passionate about the church. Our passion should mirror his passion. And I want to draw out three things from these, just these three verses from Isaiah that are going to help us this morning. 
And the first thing I want to draw out about Jesus being passionate about the church was that he was passionate about praying for the church. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And Zion, as you read through the book of Isaiah, it's a a pointer to the church in the New Testament. You can see that in the book of Hebrews. Now, Jesus was passionate about his father, his relationship with his father. We've sung about God being our father this morning. He'd come from the father and uh, he went back to him once he'd completed all he came to do after he died on the cross. Jesus loved his father. His father loved him. He wants us to know the father. Jesus is passionate about that. Jesus uh, was passionate about people. He was passionate about everyone he met. He loved people. People loved gathering to Jesus. Little children, older people, women, men, they gathered to Jesus. They loved being around him. He was such a, uh, an attractive person to be around. But more than that, Jesus was passionate about his people, the church the people who belong to him, his disciples, his followers. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to build my church on earth and hell won't be able to stop it. The devil won't be able to do anything to stop me doing what I'm going to do. He was passionate about it. And he was so passionate about the church, he gave himself to praying for it. He used to pray to his father early in the morning when it was still dark. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, used to get up early in the morning to go and pray in secret places to his father. At the end of a long, tiring day, when he was worn out from feeding the multitude, we're told that Jesus went away by himself. To pray. He loved praying on his own. He loved praying with other people. He prayed at all the key moments of his life when he got baptized. We read about him praying and heaven being opened and God speaking to him because Jesus is communicating, talking to his Father. When Jesus is about to appoint 12 uh, guys that are going to be his team, that are going to uh, be those that, uh, that disseminate the message. Uh, of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the ones that were going to do that for him, Jesus spends a night in prayer, praying it through about the right guys to pick. And God speaks to him and Jesus is wanting to be with his father and talk it through with his father before he announces the decision. At the toughest moment, when everything seems to be going wrong, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Jesus is praying and he's seeking God. He's crying out, he's weeping and he's longing for his followers to pray with him. He's he's wanting them to pray with him. And they can't even pray for an hour. Jesus is passionate about praying. He's passionate about praying for individuals. We read about how he prays for Peter, and he prays that Peter would, wouldn't lose his way because he knows he's going to be tempted. He knows the devil's going to try and tempt him and catch him. And he, Jesus is praying for him. He says, Peter, I've been praying for you. I'm praying that when the devil sifts you, that you are not lost. Jesus prays for individuals. He's praying for you. 
Jesus prays for his church. We read this wonderful prayer in John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for his disciples who were there around him at the time, but he's also praying for those who come after as a result of them taking this message out which goes to the whole earth and goes through generation after generation after generation and has come to us. Jesus is praying for us. And he's praying that we would know unity. He's praying for our protection, that God would keep us from the evil one. He's praying for us. He's praying specific prayers for us. He's praying for our growth. He's praying that we would grow in to be more like him. Jesus is actively praying for us. There's a moment when Jesus says to his disciples, it's better that I go back to heaven than stay here with you. And now Rob was talking this morning about his daughter going off to to college, going to university. And I, I bet that there was lots of tears. Rob, was there tears? There were some tears. I bet there were more than some tears. I think we probably should have bought uh, shares in Kleenex because I think probably we'd have made some money. These are these are these moments where we uh, 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 maybe your child has started school this week, first week in school, and you're leaving them at the school gate, or maybe it's preschool and you're dropping them off and leaving them for the first time or maybe it's university you're taking your son or your daughter you've taken them to university and you're leaving them and and you're leaving them but inside you uh, you want to protect them you don't want to leave them but actually you know it's better that you for them in the long run that you go and it's painful and Jesus says something like that he says it's better that I go back to the father and his disciples are going what you're crazy really better for us We'd rather have you with us, thank you. Jesus says, no, it's better I go. Because if I go, I will send the Spirit and the Spirit will comfort you. And then he goes on to talk about what the Holy Spirit will do. And he says, the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because he's gone to the Father. That's what Jesus says. He says, the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father. And Jesus is in the Father's presence and he is praying for the church's sake, I will not keep silent. Let her righteousness shine out like the dawn. Jesus is praying that. He's praying for righteousness. He's praying for people to know what it is to live rightly before God. He's praying that the Holy Spirit will be effective The Holy Spirit has come and Jesus is praying for us. We're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The Greek verb that's used means specific requests. In Hebrews 7.25, it's, Jesus is presenting specific requests. He's not praying just vague, random prayers. He's praying specific requests for you. He knows the situations you're going through. He understands 
what you're facing. He was a man just like us. He understands this world. He understands the pressures we live in under. And he is praying specifically for us. He's praying specific prayers. Not vague, nebulous prayers. Like sometimes we pray as children, God bless grandma, God bless granddad, God bless the dog. He's not, Jesus is praying specific prayers for you. He's praying into your circumstances. I tell you, that is good news. Jesus is passionate about prayer. And he does it for our sake. He wants our righteousness to shine out like the dawn. As individuals and as a church, he wants us to make uh, to be bright, shining lights. The trouble is, often we're, we're a bit dim. Righteousness is a, shines out, it's a bit dim, batteries are going. Have you ever been in a car where that's happening? I remember driving down the A34, bought a new car and there was something wrong with it. As we're driving down the A34, it's dark, kids are in the back. And the lights start bit by bit getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. It's dark out there. We need it to be bright. It's getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Sometimes we can live our Christian lives a little like that. Somehow when there's a connection missing, there's something missing. We somehow, we've lost connection with the source, with Jesus, with God. And what's happening is, Inside, internally, we're losing our way and our righteousness. The, who we are before God is, has just been lost, been blurred a bit by the world around us. And we're not having, people can't see the life of God in us that they ought to. We ought to live such good lives in the community around us that people can't but fail to notice that God has done something in us. We need to know that we've been forgiven by God. You need to be plugged into the source. You need to know that you've been forgiven by God. That's why we talk about doing things like the Freedom in Christ course. You need to know that God has forgiven you through Christ for everything that you've done. Not just some of the things, but everything. If you've given your life to Christ... Your past is white clean. Rob said right at the beginning, though your sins be like scarlet, they are white as snow. Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. He's dealt with it once and for all. For all time, for eternity, it is dealt with. You need to know that because if you know that, it changes everything. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Whatever the devil throws at you, you don't have to accept it. You can bat it off. It's a lie. It's not true. You need to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is praying that we get it. Jesus is praying that we get connected. He wants our righteousness to shine out like the dawn. I mean, Jesus gets us. Jesus gets us. This is what it says in Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 in the contemporary English version of the Bible. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we're in need, we should come 
bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will receive, find help. That is good news. That is good news. Jesus is passionate about praying for the church, for our sake, but also for the sake of others. He says about our righteousness shining out like the dawn, but he also talks about uh, us being like a blazing torch, our salvation like a blazing torch. And Jesus is praying that what God has done in saving us, turning our lives around, will be evident to all around. You see, God's desire is that no one perishes. Everyone comes to know the truth. The world around us is in spiritual darkness. People are living without any reference to God. At best, they're indifferent, and at the worst, they're antagonistic. Jesus came, sent by his Father. He came to bring light into this dark world. He said of himself, I am the light of the world. Everyone who puts their trust in him, Jesus takes from darkness and places them into the kingdom of light in his Father's presence because God is light. God does that. What a remarkable thing salvation is. We weren't even looking for God and he came out and found us and took us to himself. Remarkable. And what God has done in us needs to shine out for the sake of others. When People see someone who has been significantly hurt and should be bitter, but they're not because they're able to forgive because God has forgiven them. God's righteousness shines out like the dawn. It blazes like a torch in a dark world where that should not happen. God wants our lives to be like that. The woman at the well in Sychar simply told her community what Jesus had done in her life. And loads of people said, we didn't believe, but now we believe on the basis of what we've seen in your life and what we've heard you say. There's a guy who's been, who's been tortured by demons for years. He's lived away from the crowd, living in lonely places, we're told, beating himself up. And he comes and he, Jesus sets him free and he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, just go back to the place where you live and you tell them about what I've done. And he, that's what he does. He just goes back and he says, do you know what? My life has turned. And they can see it. It's like a torch blazing in a dark place. That's all he has to do is say, Jesus broke into my life, changed me. There's a man born blind in John chapter 9 verse 25. And what he does, he just, he, all he does is tell people, he says, I once was blind, but now I see. We need to tell people about what God is doing in our lives. You see, the, the Greek word for salvation, soteria, it's, it's more than, we think of it as just in being turned to being saved from our sin. It's more than that. It's, salvation is, is wholeness and well-being and the goodness of God impacting our lives. And so we have so much to proclaim. I mean, these last months, uh, Annie's not here this morning, so I can say it, she is so bold about her faith. She will tell anyone what God's doing. Sometimes I'm thinking, did he really say that? 
If you're sitting in the car with her, she's going to tell you the good things that God's been doing in her life. And it isn't cringy. She's not shoving it. She's just saying, it's been a tough time, but you know, God's been with me. I've been praying and, and God's helped me do this. She talks like that to everyone she meets. And she is spending a load of time with people at the moment, good friends from outside the church. We need to be people like that. I, when I hear that, it stirs something in me. I want, to, I, I want salvation to blaze like a torch in my life. Jesus was passionate about praying for the church. And so, secondly, he wants to make us a people of prayer. He wants to make us a people of prayer. You who call upon the Lord. See, Jesus is passionate about prayer, and so we have no excuse. Martin Lloyd-Jones summed it up when he said, true Christians pray. They just do. That's what they do. Ian Bounds wrote a lot about prayer, and he said this, the little estimate we put on prayer is evidenced from the, the little time we give to it. It takes up such a small part of our lives. It's such a small focus for us. For Jesus, it was a huge part of his life. Our passion for God should be evident in our prayer life as as individuals and as a church. It just should be. D.L. Moody visited Scotland in the 1800s and uh, his opening talk was at a, a school and uh, he's got lots of kids in the school. And uh, so he just asked them the rhetorical question. He says, what is prayer? And literally tens and tens of hands go up from these children. Really unexpected. It was just a rhetorical question. What is prayer? And he was about to give them the answer. Loads of kids putting their hands up. And so he asked one little boy. And this is what this little boy said. In the 1800s, listen to what he said. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That's what he said. That's what they all would have said. Because in school they'd learnt, they were learning the Westminster Catechism. They were teaching them what prayer was. They were teaching them that actually there was a God in heaven who listened to them and heard them. And when they were in trouble, they could go to him and go to him for mercy and he would hear their cry. Moody said this, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. We live in a nation that was like that once. It's not like that anymore. Can't do that in schools these days it's much more complicated our world is much more complicated and complex and God isn't at the center anymore we are no longer we can no longer call ourselves a Christian nation God is speaking to us Jesus is crying he wants us to be as passionate about prayer as he is. He wants us to be as passionate about praying for the church as he is. He wants us to be a people of prayer. Do we believe that God hears us? Do you believe that God answers prayer? 
Have you been disillusioned and disappointed because prayers that you've prayed haven't been answered? I just want to say that this, God is wanting to deal with our hearts this morning, wanting to do something in our hearts. This is a, a belief for us as a church. It's a new season of prayer. It's not about having a prayer week or a prayer day or a prayer night. Those things are great, but this is a season where we give ourselves to prayer and we're just having some focal points this coming week on Wednesday night and Sunday night where we go, we're talking about digging out some old wells, things that we need to pray into, things that we need to see breakthrough for as a church. And we're going to be doing that over these next few months. This is more of a season of prayer. This is not about just praying when we gather together. It's about finding, stirring ourselves to find time to pray individually and with others at every opportunity. God wants us to be a people of prayer. You see, God has placed, it says, God has, I have posted watchmen on your walls. Strange little phrase. I've posted watchmen on your walls. Well, a watchman was someone who was standing on the walls and was watching, was looking out, looking for danger, looking for uh, signs of someone coming to the city, uh, maybe with a message. So they were, they were people who were looking out to the distance and God was saying, I put watchmen on your walls and we tend to think of that and we use that in terms of prayer as specific people, uh, intercessors, people who, they'll do the praying for us. No, 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 no. The watchmen on the walls were to stir the people in the city to say, come on, it's time for action. There's an enemy coming. Watchmen in the church are those who are saying, come on, it's time to pray. Sometimes watchmen are leaders. Sometimes they're leaders of particular ministries. Sometimes they're people with a prophetic gift. And in fact, the, what we're praying through over this next season of the four wells that we're going to be praying for, the one this week we're going to be focused on is the well of revival. It was a prophetic word that Jamie brought some time ago. And so watchmen, watchmen call out, they stir us to pray. They don't do it for us. I feel sometimes that we're going backwards from the Reformation. In the Reformation, the Reformation, the Reformation started because Luther was outraged. He was outraged at what he saw. That ordinary men and women, people, couldn't get to God because they, they had to go through a priest. Everything went through a priest. And the Reformation sprung out of this wrong thinking. I feel sometimes we're going back that sometimes this. Particular people have got to do everything for us. No, it's not like that. God, God gifts the church with leaders to stir us to be the best that we can be for him. God puts watchmen on the walls to stir us to pray more, to seek his face, to help us go in the point in the, us in the right direction. God is, God is wanting us to be a people of prayer. As someone once said, prayer may not change the circumstances, but it will change us as we pray. And as, we, as it changes us, our expectations 
Sometimes pray, change. Sometimes we don't have answers to our prayer because we don't pray rightly. Because of our motives. Deep down we think we're praying with good motives. But as we start to pray and we draw near to God. And as we suddenly we find actually maybe my motives weren't as pure as the driven snow. And God starts to change our hearts. And and actually we see God do something different. But God work out his purposes. And we go that's amazing. You've, You've worked out this situation really well. But you've done something in my heart as well. God wants us to be a people who engage with him in prayer. And finally, we're to be those who persevere in prayer. Those who don't give up praying. We persevere in praying because prayer works. It works. God answers prayer. He answers your prayers. He answers my prayers. He answers our prayers as a church. He hears our cries. He loves to do it. We're not just calling out to anyone. We're calling out to the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who says he loves us. We're we're called to persevere, giving ourselves no rest. The early church was devoted to prayer. They were constantly praying. They were faithful in prayer. They were always keeping on praying. It was central to their life together as a church. It was a high priority. If they faced opposition, they prayed. When they needed breakthrough, they prayed. They expected God to speak to them. And when he did, they were prepared to do what he said. Prayer was intentional. It wasn't a haphazard thing that they occasionally did. They gave themselves to it because they were convinced God answered prayer. God wants us to be people who pray and don't give up. Maybe you're facing something, what you feel is an insurmountable situation, obstacle. Maybe trouble has come on you. Maybe it's you're facing a big bill, an operation, an illness. Maybe it isn't you, but it's someone close to you who's struggling with something. Maybe it's an issue at home. Maybe it's at school or work. And we can't see how we're going to get through and we feel like giving up. And the thought comes into, hey, what's the point of being a Christian if God doesn't answer prayer? Why should I go on? Well, let me give you one good reason. Because Jesus is still praying for you right now. Right now. We're to persevere and give ourselves no rest. But we're to persevere and give God no rest. Now, Sometimes at home I've said I'll do something and, and Annie will come to me. She says, Steve, do you remember you said you were going to do that? You're going to put the bin out. And, and sometimes my reaction is like this. I go, I've said I'm going to do it. I said, all I, I, I said it's, like a, 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 it's like a dripping tap. And she says to me, I've only said it once. And, I, and, 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 and then what happens is she stops saying anything to me she stopped saying something to me because my reaction isn't very good God is not like that he's not like that God wants to deal with my heart that I'm more gracious he's not God's not like that God isn't going oh I didn't I say I'd do it I told you didn't I and you're like oh, oh well I won't ask again God isn't like that he is not like that. Do you believe that? Listen, l- just listen to this verse. 
The prayer of the upright pleases him. Let that sink into your soul. Proverbs 15 verse 8. The prayer of the upright pleases him. The message puts it like this. The Lord delights in genuine prayers. God is a giver. We read that through the whole of the Bible. God is a giving God. God loves to do good things for us. God loves to answer prayer. God delights in hearing your prayer. That's what the Bible says. That's the truth. He loves to hear your prayer. He doesn't mind the fact that you pray maybe the same thing day after day after day. In fact, that it, you're encouraged to do that by Jesus in Luke chapter 18. He, says to, he tells a, a story to encourage us to pray and keep on praying and not give up. We're to persevere and give God no rest. And we're to persevere until the church is all it's called to be. Until it's all it's called to be. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God wants us to keep on praying for the church to make a difference in this city. This church but other churches where Jesus is lifted up, where people believe the gospel. Not just in this city, but across this country. God wants us to be a people who won't give up praying for the church. God is passionate about the church because we are his people. Jesus is the head of the church and we are united in Christ. Irrespective of our background, gender, ethnicity, is the church all it should be? No, it's not. In that case, we should pray. Pray that God will break through. Paul himself keeps praying for the whole church. There's joy to be found in praying for others. It, gave, it clearly gave Paul joy to be praying for the Philippian church, the Philippian believers, even though he was in prison, hundreds of miles away. It gave him joy. There is joy to be found in praying. In prayer, as we seek God and pray for others and we give ourselves to it. God loves it and he comes on. I think there's a reward that comes from heaven when we pray. If we're doing it for effect and doing it for show, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he said, you've had your reward. And she said, but those who go away into the secret place, God rewards them. There's a reward for those who pray like that Pray like Jesus prayed. The presence of God, I believe, comes and meets with us. God, we draw near to him and we encounter God in new ways. We're told in the book of Job that when he prayed for his friends who'd made a right mess of things, God restored his fortunes. There is, there is reward in prayer. Maybe not in material reward, but I tell you, having, knowing the presence of God with you, there is nothing like it. As we come to a close this morning, what I'll tell you about, uh, there was a missionary called John Hyde. And this, this guy was a, a missionary in India, and he was impacted particularly by the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And Jabez prays this prayer in the Old Testament. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I might be from pain. And God granted his request. 
And John Hyde some got, got hold of that and started to pray. And he learnt how to pray. And he sought God and prayed. And as a result of his praying, they believed that many hundreds and maybe thousands of people got saved as a result of his prayers. And the impact of his prayers over the years. And he came back to the UK and they, were, they had a, an American evangelist who'd come to uh, preach at these three meetings one of them was in Shrewsbury. And um, the US evangelist asks John Hyde to come and pray for him. And this is what he said. He came to my room, turned the key in the door, and dropped to his knees. And waited without f- for five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping and his beating. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then with upturned face, down which the tears were streaming, he said, Oh God. Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then when he knew that he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me as I have never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. John Hyde, his nickname was Praying Hyde. That's what he was known, known as. He was known because he was a man of prayer. And as a result of his prayers, there was a great evangelistic breakthrough in those three meetings. But we will never know the impact of our prayers. We need to believe that God is stirring us as he stirs us to pray, that God is working and outworking his purposes. I want to finish with this. Ian Bounds once said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty, in prayer. We're not going to finish with a song this morning, but we're going to just do some business with God right here, right now. And if you just know that God's stirring you about your own prayer life, I would just love to pray for you. So if that's you, just stand where you, just where you are and I'm just going to pray for you. Oh God in heaven, we stand before you, simple men and women who've been saved by the blood of Jesus. We belong to you. We're your people. And Father, we come to you right now and we say, Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Holy Spirit, come on each one of us. Stir us with a passion for prayer. Stir us with a passion for the Father's presence. 
Holy Spirit come and cause us to love reading the Word of God. And when we read the Word of God, that it provokes us to pray and seek the Father's face. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what it is to know a Father who cares for us and will never stop loving us. Holy Spirit, come and uh, if there are barriers and stuff that we put up, Holy Spirit, break them down, we pray. Oh God, would you come and touch us, change us. God, we don't want to be the same as we are. We want to, we want to see you do something in these days, in this generation, in this city, in this country. And Father, we want to be part of it. We pray, teach us to pray. God, teach us to call on heaven. Father, to teach us to be able to draw near to a throne of grace and find a God that hears our cries. God, teach us, oh God, to be passionate about the lost. Teach us, oh God, give us your heart, oh God, for this nation. Give us your heart for the church. May we love the church. Teach us, oh God, to love your people. God, help us, we pray. God, we say, do not let us leave this place without you touching our hearts. Oh God, visit us, I pray, by your spirit. Come and take hold of us. Come and shape us. God, may we be people in these days that shape a nation. Oh God, it's not going to be shaped by politics, by what happens in decisions in Europe. Oh God, we say it'll be decisions that are made on our knees before the God of heaven. God, would you move in these days, in this nation, in this city. We say, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, oh God. Have mercy on us, we pray. God, be merciful. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Why don't you, in your own words, express to God what's in your heart, just for a moment. Just let your voice rise. Don't worry about what anybody else is saying.